Hello and welcome to Movement, a weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, Melinda Cousins interviews a leader from within our movement and then asks them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Last week I had the opportunity to sit down with Andrew Turner, who is the Church Development Facilitator for Baptist Churches SA across our movement, and it's great to have Andrew back this week with a sermon that he's going to share with us. So Andrew, before we listen to it, can you tell us why you chose this sermon? Thanks Belinda. Yeah, I chose this sermon. This is a sermon uh, some listeners may have heard in their church. I've preached it around a number of churches or uh, variations of the sermon, partly because it's coming from a very sort of deep place in my heart and in my experience from deep convictions and it's connected to my book uh, Fruitful Church I wrote the book out of the same sense of mm-hmm. deep conviction in fact I sat down to write that book because I got sick of going around to all the churches sort of saying the same thing I thought you know what I'll write it down and then I won't have to talk about it so much of course then more people wanted me to go and talk about it so that unintended consequences but um, yeah so it comes out of a deep um, passion of mine. I hope some of that comes through in the uh, in the recording. Uh, I know I felt it on the day. It's also a fun kind of sermon. I'm not sure if that's the right. If you're allowed to uh, uh, okay. say that, it's you know talking about some some big truths. But the way that I go about it as well, it's got a bit of maths in there for the maths nerds. Right. It's actually very, and this is going to be difficult on a podcast, it's quite visual uh, as well, and I think it will come through okay, but it's showing some pictures that represent different ways of imagining how church can be and what it means to be successful as a church. Uh, Images, uh, which can be uh, conveyed vocally as well, so I'm thankful for, but we'll yeah, and we might be able to put those images in the show no- in the episode notes as well. Uh, is there anything in terms of context of when and where it was preached so people know what they're about to listen to? Yes, so August uh, 2020, uh, up at Barossa Community Church. Wonderful people up there, beautiful part of the world. So it, it was kind of a treat to just drive up on this stunning Sunday morning and then it wasn't just coming and delivering the message, it was the way they welcomed and uh, hospitality and going out for lunch afterwards it was a great day mm. it was a third sermon in a series about what it means to be church's family which i preached in team uh with you and with elliot uh the first one in that series if i remember rightly was about what it means to join the family of god and come to belong to the church it's thinking about it as like being adopted into a family finding your place in the family and the uh, second one in the series was about the rhythms and practices of growing up and you know, in the family of God. And this, uh, I was invited then to speak the third uh, sermon in the series, was, which is what does it mean for us to uh, to grow up and for families to uh, multiply and to um, for people to leave home and perhaps go and start other households. And, of course, that was my whole fruitful church thing anyway, so it didn't take long for me to say, yes, please, I'm happy to speak into that space. And it's actually great in this context for it to fit together, not just to stand alone, but to fit together with that wider understanding of what it means to be church as family. Perhaps I'll just say uh, that the images that you hear me referring to in the in the sermon, uh, early on in the sermon there's talks around uh, fruit trees and fruitfulness and uh, crops and all those sorts of things. The second half of the sermon 
I show one at a time four pictures on screen. Yeah, we can put them in the notes of the, but, but it might be just enough for you to know there's a picture of an extended family, like a family gathering photo shoot uh, there of different three or four generations uh, all gathered together asking what does it mean to think about church as extended family. There's a picture also of a university mm-hmm. and I ask the question, what does it mean for us to uh, imagine church as being a little bit like a university? Uh, then I throw a picture of Cape Canaveral of a launch pad there and I think I'm referred to how um, ugly uh, that building is but it's because look at the show notes or um, just imagine a, uh, a building that's used for launching rockets and launching space shuttles and all those sorts of things it's uh, lots of pipes and metal and uh, not built to be uh, admired as one of the uh, wonders of the world for architecture and then finally there's a picture of, Bev, of a boot camp and I think they do get verbally mentioned in the uh, the message, of course, but uh, if you're listening along at home, just imagine those four pictures being put up on the screen in your mind, at very least, and it, hopefully it will all make a little more sense. Thanks, Andrew. I'm sure it will. Look forward to listening to it and trust that God will speak to us through it. I feel a safe distance all the way over here uh, from you. I hope you feel a safe distance from me. You know, like in churches, usually the front row is always empty. Like It acts like a, a barbed wire. That, you know, just make sure that you're... So, uh, so that's good. It is difficult times. Um, I'm looking forward to when this one and a half metre rule is finally uh, over and I can go back to my usual two and a half metres uh, from, uh, from people. Um, but it's great to be... Uh, God's people uh, together and this is something incredibly profound, deeply meaningful and and, uh, it's great that we've been exploring this over the last three weeks. Uh, What it means to be church and uh, thinking about church as family, which is one of the images that there is in in scripture uh, about what it means to be church. It's wonderful um, on a whole number of levels, very helpful moves us beyond thinking about church as an organisation, moves us beyond thinking about church as an institution, moves us beyond thinking about church as an event. Uh, We can slip into that language or moving us beyond thinking about church as a place or a building or something like that as as well. We have this, it's organic, it's relational, it's very rich and of course it's one of the dominating um, images of uh, what scripture can be. For some people, church can end up being just like a, um, a spiritual petrol station. Uh, you sort of drop in from time to time to get a bit of a, a, a fill up and then off we go back into, uh, into life and there's so much more uh, to what it means to be the people of God than that. And uh, this is a neat little series. I'm grateful to Elliot and Melinda to invite me in on it as well. When you've been looking at Acts chapter 2, and there's that, uh, a passage there about how the, the church is formed and people are drawn into it to really belong and to, uh, to uh, know each other as brothers and sisters. And there's this new way of relating to each other and this community is formed and practices and rhythms are formed in, in, in Jerusalem. And it's very exciting, it's very powerful, it's very dynamic and uh, incredibly rich, and this is sort of end of end of chapter two of Acts. And if you hadn't read beyond the second chapter of Acts before, you might 
in your imagination think, I wonder where this is heading. So this is going to be a lovely community that's going to, uh, to grow old together and they're, uh, they're going to have an amazing time and be really mutually supportive and isn't, going to, isn't it going to be wonderful? And of course that's not what happens across the rest of the book of Acts. God's got this yet bigger, incredible fulfilment of what it means for, for uh, the church to be the family of God and it goes way beyond uh, Jerusalem and uh, it's quite mind-blowing and part of my role is to try to talk us through and let us, uh, our minds be blown again and uh, to recapture the excitement uh, of that and to think about our place in that. And so um, I'm just going to uh, detour a little bit. I'm going to double back to what it means to be church's family and we're going to look at some other images as well. And also to uh, intrigue you, uh, partway through this message, this is a little incentive to stay awake. Uh, for those of you who are just watching on screen, they're all awake so far. Uh, I'll update you as we go along. Uh, any misbehaviour, uh, I'll leave it in your imagination perhaps. Uh, partway along, I want to blow the whistle on the great Barossa Valley scandal. Uh, so watch out for that one uh, as well. But God's got bigger dreams for us than we often think. Uh, in John chapter 7, uh, Jesus goes up to this to the feast and, and John records on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and in a loud voice he said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. We know that, we know that little verse, don't we? It's a great little memory verse uh, when we're kids. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And we can carry that image of incredibly generous God with us, a God who takes empty people and wants to fill them up. We have a whole language around that, don't we, as, as church? We talk about emptiness, we talk about fullness, um, and it's true about God's generosity. The only thing is, that's not where Jesus ended. Jesus went straight on. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and, and drink, and without a full stop, Without a semicolon, he says, if anyone believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within them. Do you see how this takes a little bit of good news that we have a God who's generous to take empty people and to fill them up and the rest of Jesus, saying of Jesus, very important saying of Jesus, John is telling us, uh, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stands up and with a loud voice, this is a writer telling you four, four different times, you better pay attention to this, this is really important. That not only does our God take empty people and fill them up, those who belong to Jesus, streams of living water are going to flow from within them and that means that God's got this bigger idea that not only would we empty people become full, but that empty people would become sprinklers, would become springs, would become a great blessing, would not only know God's blessing, but would become a blessing to people uh, in turn all the way around them. Do you see how that just takes it to the next level in an amazing way? I've been carrying that little verse with me for, for years, just contemplating on it, thinking this is so incredible, in such incredibly good news. Now, this is true not just for individuals uh, also, but for churches, that God doesn't want to just bless us, but wants to bless through us. And uh, so God's got bigger dreams for churches often than they think. 
Now, my role at the Baptist Centre officially is church development facilitator. When I came into the role, I had to think very carefully through what does it mean for a church to develop? What are we actually looking for? What are we reaching for? And I think in uh, many cases, our sort of default uh, measure by which we would say, is the church going well or is the church not going so well? What's the first thing that people think about? Numbers. Is it big or is it getting bigger? Because that's, I mean, that's a really important size. That this thing is, is getting bigger. The other thing that people think about, if we're a little bit more nuanced and we're not quite so mercenary just to talk about the numbers, we say, is it healthy? So, I mean, is there, is, are people loving each other? Is the fellowship strong? Uh, have we got a good cohort of leaders? Are things working kind of properly uh, in there? And if we see a church that's growing and a church that's healthy, we, we, we say, oh, fantastic, it warms the heart. You know, there is a, 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 a big healthy church and we want to have more big healthy churches. And don't get me wrong, uh, I'm all for churches getting bigger and I'm all for churches becoming healthier. But I've got this nagging feeling because uh, in Mark's Gospel, uh, Jesus was going to the temple in Jerusalem and it says that he saw a fig tree in the distance. And the fact that he saw it in the distance tells me that it's big. And it's, we also know that it was in full leaf, so it had to be, have some measure of health about it. It wasn't one of those trees that's withering up and dying, or not yet. And Jesus goes to it. Everyone else might have been thought, oh, lovely tree. Jesus curses that tree. And why is it? Because it didn't have any fruit. And so that's got me thinking, can churches sometimes be impressing everybody except Jesus? Wouldn't that be weird? What does, Jesus, what does it mean for a church to be fruitful, not for a church just to be getting bigger, not just for a church to be healthier, but a church to be fruitful? And let's explore that uh, for a little bit. So this is going to be so ironic because me, a complete city slicker, is going to come out here to the Barossa Valley and ask, what makes a fruit a fruit? What defines a fruit? Because you know, when city slickers think about fruit, we just think we just think it's health food. We think perhaps it's yummy. It's seeds. Seeds is what makes a fruit a fruit. And seeds is not just about being healthy, not just about being yummy. Seeds are about multiplication. And uh, we see this vision that God has for multiplication uh, all the way through scriptures. Right from Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the world and creates all the different living creatures and you see again and again that they might reproduce after themselves and, uh, and fill the earth. And uh, so uh, in many cases, let me just, because we're going to try and keep moving fairly quickly, uh, show you one parable that you'd be well familiar of, the parable of a sower, another agricultural uh, parable, and we get to the end of it. We know that some of the seed falls on the road, and on the rocky soil, and on the thorny ground as well. But the seed that fell on the good soil produced, did Jesus say, a really big, massive, impressive plant? What did, what did it produce? A harvest 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. It's multiplication. We see it again and again uh, in. The, the scripture that God has a vision not just for size, not just for health, but for multiplication. But often it's in our heart to, as we said before, the first thing we often think about is that we want our church 
to get big and we want our church to be healthy. And if your focus is on those two things, what you really, really want to do is you want to hang on to people. You want to hang on especially to your good people. You want to hang on to your talented people. You want to hang on to your young people and because they do both. I mean, like it makes your church bigger and it also helps your church to work really well. We want to, we want to hold on to people. There is a whole industry out there of books and resources for churches about how to keep young people uh, in your church and to stop them from uh, slipping away. And I've literally heard it said to me that if you want your church to grow, there's basically two things that you need to do. The first one is you need to make your front door as wide as open as you possibly can so that as many people, uh, all kinds of people can come to your church. And then the other, the second thing that you need to do is you need to close and lock and padlock and bolt and nail shut the back door and all other possible exits and your church is going to grow. And I've heard that said and I've heard that discussed and does, does it sound to anybody just a little bit creepy? Uh, just a little bit Hotel California? A little bit like a fish trap where you can kind of swim your way in but you get no one ever uh, 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 swim your way out? And... Uh, but that could be the mindset that we can get into, and I call it a retentive mindset where we want to try to hang on uh, to everyone. And churches, either explicitly or implicitly, we can get into that way of, um, of feeling and thinking. Which leads me to the great Barossa scandal that I want to blow the whistle on this morning. I did some research about you, Mob. Not just the church, I mean the valley, okay? This is, so it's no, the criticism is not just of you, it's of the, the whole place. 10 billion grapes per year. You can correct me afterwards. Barossa Valley loses 10 billion grapes per year out of this valley. There wouldn't be many valleys that lose that many grapes before. It just, you know, in trucks, in liquid form, uh, uh, you're, you're letting it all go. And uh, I don't see many, you know, efforts to try and stop it. These trucks just go out of the valley and you lose Billions of grapes, week after week, harvest after harvest. Uh, what's going on? What incredible losers. You could say, uh, Turner came up to our church. He said, a whole valley full of losers. They're losing grapes like crazy uh, as well. What's, and you'd say to me, no, 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 Andrew, we don't think of it that way. We don't, we don't think of it about uh, us you know, losing grapes to the rest of the world. We're, this is actually part of our deliberate plan. I mean, we, we, the word we use, Andrew is produce. We, we produce grapes, we produce uh, wine and it's actually our deep privilege, it's actually our pride that we, do you know what I mean, we send it uh, all around the world and it enriches the world, do you know what I mean, and it makes people happy uh, and it's, do you know what I mean, it's, it's something that actually, we, in our identity, um, it is something that makes us walk tall because we actually, you know, we're not stopping the trucks, we are sending uh, the trucks. That's what you would say to me, wouldn't you? You'd say, Andrew, who's the loser here? Do you know what I mean? So maybe there you go. Just, you know, the great Barossa scandal. But I say this because in families, uh, the norm is that you raise your kids up and they leave home and they go into the world and they start new households. There's always the exception to the norm. But that's kind of the understood thing. Ever since the kids were really little, they kind of underknown. We talk to them about what they might do one uh, one day and 
with the, you know, the, the kids kind of know this is the program. And my kids at the moment are uh, 18, 15, 13. They're all living at home under one roof, not fighting with each other too much. So there we are, success as a parent. But if I came back to visit you in 20 years' time and I said, oh, yeah, my kids are 38 and 35 and 32 and, yeah, they're all living at home under one roof and I'm still doing their washing and their ironing for them. And, oh, they get on all okay. You begin to look at me a little bit sideways and say, you know, Andrew, it's what's, what kind of strange parent uh, are you? Like I said, there's always, there's, there's always exceptions. But the normal thing in families is for the training and releasing as well and yet it seems to be the exception in churches. That are the imagination in churches is we say, go to a church, stay there forever, and if anyone leaves, it's kind of a loss, it's kind of a disappointment, it could be a bit of a treachery uh, perhaps if somebody goes off and abandons our church and uh, goes off somewhere else uh, in the world. And we don't think of it as an intentional way with, uh, uh, much at all. So let's look at the two different mindsets that a church can have. Imagine a, a church with this retentive mindset that wants to hold on to its people. It starts with 100 people and it grows by 10 each year. We should say, by the way, who here likes maths? Anyone here like maths? Oh, good, okay, right. This, especially this, little, this minute is for you. Uh, starts with 100 people. It grows by 10 people each year. So do you know what I mean? It's on a mission as a church to its, its neighbourhood. Uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, and it does this for 100 years. And yes, some people will die and some people will be born. We'll just let that cancel out for the keep the math simple. Uh, all right. Some people move into the area, some people move out. Oh, we'll keep that simple. 100 people, it grows by 10 each year. 100 years later, how big is that church? 1,100 on the board? Yes. 1,100 people. Can you imagine that church having its centenary... Uh, Telling the story about how we started with just a hundred people and God's been good to us and we've worked uh, faithfully over the last century and now we're a church of 1100 people. We had to kind of do a couple of building projects along the way and expand the car park and now we've got an auditorium uh, there. By the way, just have a look at that uh, building. What is it? What is it as you enter in that uh, from the back there? Sorry for people listening to uh, this and can't see the visual. Uh, but what does it say that your role is? Observer, did someone say? Yeah, you're there to watch. Okay, so we'll just come back to that. Let's have a look at a church with a different mindset, a church with a fruitful mindset. It starts with 100 people as well. Uh, it grows by 10 people each year. Same, same. Uh, but it has a bit of a different rule of thumb. Uh, it, it has this uh, uh, mindset. It says, you know what, when we get to about 120 people, Let's take 20 of our best people and let's commission them to go and plant another church. And we'll also whisper in the ear, on the commissioning of those 20 people, we'll say to them, you know what, if you ever find yourself getting to 120 people as well, you know, growing by 10 each year might take you a decade, but when you get to about 120 people, why don't you think about doing the same thing? And uh, sending out 20 people and say, so the mindset, we're not so much into building giant auditoriums and uh, but it's more about training and sending and releasing and multiplication. Okay, mathematicians, a hundred years later, just down the road, that other big church in the big auditorium is celebrating having 1,100 people uh, as well, and this church is having its anniversary actually in the same room. How many people, firstly, first question, how many people are present at the anniversary? Exactly, yes. Yeah, so the same room, something like that, yeah. Somewhere in there. And uh, 
Some people in that might look at that church and say, it's gone nowhere. Do you mean a church consultant like me won't come to the, come and visit the church and say, I've classified your church as officially plateaued. Do you mean you've been around 100, 120 people, nothing's changed, what's going on uh, there? But who can tell me how many disciples there are that are related to that original church that decided to go about it with a different mindset? All right, I'll put you out of your misery. 100 years later, 107 million disciples because they're not saying, God's will for you is to come and sit there in rows and listen to me and be amazed at all the things that happen from the platform. Part of the message is, uh, the message of the kingdom is transforming and you are not only recipients of it, you're going to be bearers of it as well. So, so listen to the word of God. You know, in a, in a church where we're all just meant to be listeners and you get to one of those difficult passages in the Bible, you know, like the middle section of Romans that starts to talk about predestination and all those sorts of things. You think, oh, it's a bit confusing. Oh, I don't really quite get it. And then you have this thought, you know what? In about nine or ten years' time, Romans will come back around again at this church. Maybe I'll get it that time. But if, if the speaker is saying to you, next time Romans comes around, you're going to be teaching it. You're going to be, you're going to be helping others to, to wrap their brains uh, around this. You suddenly lean in, think maybe you better ask some questions. Maybe I better really grab this. It's a whole different uh, mindset. So you might be getting an idea by now that I'm a bit of a maths nerd. It's true. I was once, I was in this, I was actually in a really boring conference and I was sitting in the back row with my laptop and Microsoft Excel when I was fiddling around with these numbers, you know. And I got to this point and I thought, wow, 107 million. And, but the really boring talk wasn't over yet. So, uh, I thought to myself, what church can do that for a hundred years? Do you know what I mean? So I thought, let's get really nerdy. Imagine that there's, there's a whole system of churches here, isn't there? There's a massive family tree of it. I thought, what if every church in that system only lasts for 25 years? How old is Barossa Community Church, by the way? 25 years, okay. Imagine if a church starts with 20 people and it takes about 10 years to grow to 120 people and then it spends another 15 years sending out every couple of years and building people up and then it has a really big argument about the curtains or the carpet or something like that Math falls in a complete heap and closes. And what if that happened to every one of those churches? Do you know what that number, 107 million, falls to a paltry 93 million in that circumstance? Because friends, it's not about building the building your brand name. It's not about pointing people to this amazing thing that you you've got. The amazing thing that you have is the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him as Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that cannot be contained by the cleverest group of people that want to try to bottle that into a local institution. And so when we think about family, the church's family, we want to think about church's extended family, uh, if we possibly can. Uh, a nuclear family is sort of the stage of life that I'm in at the moment. Like I said, mum and dad and three kids, keep them all at home, Keep them, uh, keep them under one roof, keep them safe and stop them from squabbling with each other uh, too much. But that can be the mindset that we fall into as um, church leaders. And we're not asking the question, how do we prepare these people for all that God has called them to 
and get them ready for it and when the time is right, release them out and release them uh, into it. So I'm going to give you just four pictures here. For some people, maths just is a thing. Uh, for some other uh, of you, perhaps the visual images is something that you'll be able to take with you and reflect on uh, as we go from here. And this first one, of course, is this uh, the idea of the, uh, the, the nuclear family and thinking about church as extended family. Extended families are always dynamic, isn't it? You want to take that generation that's really cute and just bottle them and say, you know, oh, do you know what I mean? Because, you know, my, my, I'm about to become a great uncle, you know. Uh, uh, my really cute little niece who I remember is, you know, is married and uh, having a child and everything, and there's a whole another generation that's coming through. It's very dynamic. Uh, and uh, it's helpful for us to think about church in that way. What happens, for instance, imagine a large, some of you might have personal experience with this, in a large family and the oldest kid reaches that age where they leave home, what happens to the number two kid often? How does their role change in the family? They nick those, they step up. <laughs> Firstly, grab the privileges, but hopefully also step up into the responsibilities of being do you know what I mean? And then, then number two, number three, is sort of shuffles up and becomes the, the, the number two. There's this dynamic that happens within the family, even those who stay and aren't actually being sent away. So in a church where you're just sort of static, and if your church has got an awesome guitarist uh, who is up on the platform playing amazing stuff on the guitar every week, and in the congregation there's two or three garage guitarists who only play the guitar in the shower, you know what I mean? They, uh, uh, and... They generally look on the amazing guitarist on the stage at church and they think to themselves, I could never do that. This is amazing. This person, amazing. I'm just a shower guitar player. What a strange image. Uh, and, and that's it. It sticks like that. But imagine if the amazing guitarist on stage is part of a group of 20 people who are going to be sent to go and do a church plant. And you know that's happening in a year's time. And the garage guitarists in the congregation begin to look at each other and look at themselves and think, it's going to be me. And instead of me sitting there and just thinking, oh, you're incredible, I could never do that, then maybe I'd need to say, you know, after church, could you show me a little bit about how to do some of those? Because I've got to grow, I've got to learn, I've got to step up. And so that there is a discipleship dynamic that happens when the church is dynamic like an extended uh, family because there's a reason for people to be stepped up and training and growing and instead of just one person being the treasurer forever and ever and ever and ever for 90 years and, been a, and no one else has to even think about all those sorts of things as well, there's always people that are learning and growing and there's always someone, people showing other people a few moves and that is fantastic for a discipleship and ministry growth and it happens because of voids I mean, because of vacuums that people feel themselves drawn up into. And uh, so there's much more that can be said about that. But there's, there's a picture. Think about church as extended family. I'll give you a, a, a few others. Think about church as a university. Uh, in, at university, uh, everyone knows that people are meant to graduate. They're meant to. All of us probably know some people that went to university and never quite escaped uh, they just stayed on and stayed on and eventually became academics. But that's the exception, not the rule, isn't it? If you have a university and there's nobody 
leaving, it can only be one reason. Everybody is failing. And if everybody's failing, then especially the teaching staff are failing, yeah? We think of churches universal. I, I heard a, um, a radio interview with the a chancellor, vice chancellor of Adelaide University many, many years ago. And it just, I had to pull the car over and stop and just, because my mind went like this. They were interviewing the, the chancellor of Adelaide Uni uh, because in the rankings, the world rankings of the university, Adelaide Uni had gone from being like number 110 to being number 97 or something like that. And so that was a good enough reason they got the chancellor on the radio and said, oh, you know, congratulations. You know, all these rankings, what do you think of all that? And the Vice-Chancellor said, actually, we don't, we don't care too much about all that stuff. And I thought to myself, yeah, of course you don't care about that when you've just gone down in the rankings. And then I thought, hang on, you've just gone up in the rankings. You should, you should definitely care about these sorts of things. So the, the interviewer said, well, how come you don't care about these stuff? And, and, and the Vice-Chancellor said, well, the, the, the criteria they tend to use, maybe it's changed, but this is how the interview went uh, 10 years ago or so, the, the, the category that they use. Um, how many students do you have? What sort of buildings and facilities uh, do you have you got? How much money has the, the university got in kind of endowments for research and all those sorts of things? And are the teaching staff in the university, how amazing are they in the academic world? Are they academic rock stars? And these are the kind of criteria by which they rank the universities. So the the radio interviewer then said, well, if you don't care about that sort of uh, thing, then what do you care about? And this is what made me pull over to the side of the road. The Vice-Chancellor said, well, it's hard to track, but this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out if the people who graduate from our university are going on to do meaningful things in the world. And I just, the reason I had to pull over to the side of the road because I just thought, that is churches. We measure ourselves, have we got amazing buildings, have we got rock star preachers and fantastic, amazing uh, pastors, have we got lots of money, have we got lots of people uh, turning up at, up at it, and are we asking, are we uh, helping to produce and send into the world amazing disciples of Jesus? It's hard to track, isn't it? But so often when someone leaves your church, it's out of sight, out of mind, they're yesterday's uh, person and we're not following their progress and uh, celebrating their successes and asking ourselves when we speak, oh, these people are going on to do amazing things with their lives. Isn't that so fantastic? How can we do this again? How can we do this even better? So there's you go. There's, think about church perhaps as a, like a university. Uh, who knows what that, where this amazing building is? Florida, correct? Cape Canaveral? What do you think of it as a building aesthetically? It's a shocker. It's an absolute huge shocker. Obviously, a lot more engineers than artists work for NASA. That's uh, possibly a good thing. Uh, but that's one of the most horrid-looking buildings you could ever possibly have, isn't it? And yet, just down the road, an hour down the road from there, apparently, never been, uh, is Orlando, Florida. And what's that Orlando, Florida? Disney World. Does it look like that? No, it does not look like that. It looks incredible. It looks amazing. Right down to the very last little garden bed, everything is just so. What a contrast. Because Disney World is a destination. You go to Disney World and so that you can go to Disney World. You go to Disney World and you can say, I've been to Disney World. But you don't go to Cape Canaveral to go to Cape Canaveral. You go to Cape Canaveral to go to the moon. 
And I want to ask the question that when we think about a church, do we think about a church as a destination? We have a church, everything is just so, and we've got programs for everyone, and we've got lovely rosters, and our budget's going okay, and everyone can slot into a different thing, and it's, it's, it's heaven on earth, welcome to heaven, settle down, you never leave, please, because we've locked all the back doors and locked all the side doors. <laughs> do we think of our church as a launching pad, where we, 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 we uh, have, a, have a revolving door at the front, as a, as a symbol we, we welcome people. Welcome to Barossa Community Church. We can't wait to see the back of you. Because what we are on about as a church is not owning you and nailing you down. It's about us finding all that you were created to be by the Father God and building you up into that and releasing into whatever it is that God's call is on your life. That's what we are here for. Wow, if I, I'd like to join a church that has that kind of attitude. Caesar says it's a launching pad, not just as... A destination. And uh, finally, think about church as a boot camp. Can you imagine a boot camp? I've never been to boot camp, obviously, as you can see. Uh, but I've seen it on TV, so almost counts. But a boot camp gets you ready for war, doesn't it? Gets you ready for the front line, gets you in shape, all those exercises. I know that, you know, in Band of Brothers, the TV series, they, they had to, the big, you know, they wear the full packs and they go in their little squad, team, whatever, and they had to run all the way up to the top of a massive big hill, singing, as you do, just like church, and uh, coming all the way back down again, you're getting fit, attending lectures, finding out about tactics, and, 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 and all the important thing it is to get you ready to go to the front. But imagine if word quietly goes around camp, but there's not actually any war, and we're just really going through the motions. And we, we, you get a sense of fellowship. We're not really training for anything. I'll tell you what I'd be doing when the pack goes up for the big run up the hill. I'd be there singing the song and at the bottom of the hill just duck behind a bush, uh, wait for them all to come back running down the hill again and then just join back in. <laughs> and what difference does it make if I slack off like that? I tell you, friends, it makes no difference whatsoever. All of the lectures they have every week, every Sunday morning to, or to talk about all the important things about going and uh, uh, and winning the war. Uh, if I attend those or if I don't attend those, I wake up one week and think, ah, oh, you know, I'm just a bit tired. But what difference does it make? None. Because it's all for nothing. We're just passing time. And friends, churches can, can get like that. When we've got a dynamic to say, actually, God doesn't just take empty people and fill them up. He takes empty people and he wants them to become fillers for those around them and indeed to bring his blessing and his spirit to the whole world, it calls us to step up and to ask the question, what's my calling? Lord, where are you sending me? How can I get ready for that? And also to ask the question of those around me in my church, what's their calling? And how is, how is God calling me to bless them and to build them up and to get them ready for uh, all that God has called them to do this week and next year? and beyond, and suddenly it's deeply meaningful, and every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night and every prayer meeting and every personal Bible study that you do in your own time really matters, because God's involved us. We've got this amazing place in his family and friends. It's dynamic, and it's multiplying, and we get to be a part of that. Isn't that just incredible? And so in this amazingly fruitful part of the world, I want to just 
say God bless Barossa Community Church. I'm really actually encouraged and excited about the next season that you are heading into and who you are now. It's been a delight just to hang out with you just for a morning. I pray a great blessing not only on Barossa Community Church but through you to the valley, to other churches and around the world and may this good and lasting fruit bring much glory to the name of Jesus for he is worthy and he is the one from whom, through whom and for whom it all really is. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your incredible kingdom. We're so glad it's your kingdom, that it's like you, Jesus, that because it's yours, because it's from you and through you and for you, it's about goodness, it's about nobility, it's so honourable. Lord, we don't, we're not meant to boast, but we're totally allowed to boast in you and you are so wonderful and gentle and wise and uh, we long for our lives and for the whole world to come more and more to reflect who you are and to, to bring you glory. Thank you so much for your wonderful grace that you call us and invite us to have a, a part in what you're doing. And um, Lord, please um, prompt and uh, draw us forward by your Holy Spirit. Keep us from thinking of membership in your church as being like membership of the crows where we just get to to uh, turn up and watch. But Lord, you give each of us a Guernsey and you call us onto the field and to, uh, to play a part in the great work that you are doing of making all things new. And so help us, each of us to find our place in that, to play it to our utmost um, and continue to... Uh, to draw on you the psalm we we heard read this morning that uh, indeed we together might be like that tree planted beside streams of water which yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither. Uh, Lord, lead us forward individually and uh, as a church, as a movement of churches, we commit ourselves again to your wonderful name and we put our trust in you. Amen. Thanks for listening to Movement today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe, and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Movement is a podcast from Baptist Church's SA, hosted by Melinda Cousins and produced by Ruth Grace and Kathy Turner. We'll be back next week with another special guest.